Thank you, choir, orchestra, Caroline. I love that girl. I've watched her grow up, and she is a precious girl on the inside and out. Well, a few years ago, Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov moved to the United States. He said he was amazed at the number of products available to customers. He went to a grocery store. As he walked down an aisle, he saw some powdered milk. He said he took the box, he began to read it, saw the instructions, take water, add to the powder, and he said, you have milk. What an amazing thing. You just add water and you have milk. He said he walked down another aisle and there was some powdered orange juice and he looked at that and read the instructions on it. It said, add water, you have orange juice. He said, that's incredible that you take this powder, you add water to it, you have orange juice. He walked down another aisle and he saw a canister that said baby powder. <laughs> he said, wow, what a great country. If you want a baby here, just add water and you have a baby. Well, there are some people who feel that way about Christianity. All you have to do is add water, a little holy water, a little baptismal water, walk down the aisle, shake a hand, say a prayer, fill out a card, and presto, you're a disciple of Christ. Well, we know that it's more than that. In fact, I would say today, now you can do this in a lot of ways, but there are two basic groups here. There is the congregation, the crowd. We have over 6,000 members in our church. FBI couldn't find a lot of them, but we have over 6,000 members in our church. The crowd, the congregation, is those who attend when it's convenient, they give when they have a little extra, but that's just about it. In fact, George Barna wrote, 84% of Americans call themselves Christians, but their behavior is not great differently from the world. Their behavior is not a great deal different than is the world. Now, that is the crowd. That is the congregation. But then there are those who are the committed. They are the disciples of Christ. They are the followers of Christ. Today I want us to look at Luke chapter 14. And Jesus is going to give to us some images or some pictures that will help us understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Luke chapter 14 beginning in verse 25. Now great multitudes were going along with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple 
who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, there are about five images that the Lord gives to us or pictures so we can determine if we are true disciples of Christ, if we are followers of Christ. The first image he presents is that of a family in verse number 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now the image here of a family is speaking or emphasizing loyalty. It is the loyalty that comes with a family. Now that verse of scripture bothers most of us, does it not? If someone does not hate his own father and mother and wife and brothers and sisters and so forth, then he cannot be my disciple. Does that mean that if I am a follower of Christ, then it means that I am to hate my family? Does it mean that I am to hate my mother, my father, if I am to be a disciple of Christ? Is that what it means? No, actually this is a comparative word. In fact, W. Vines defines it as of relative preference for one thing over another by way of expressing either aversion from or disregard for the claims of one person or thing relative to those of another. So what he's saying, if we are disciples of Jesus, it means that we prefer him over everything and everyone else. That's what he is saying. He's not saying that you're to hate your father and your mother, but it means that you prefer him over everything and everyone else. And yet we all have these competing loyalties. For instance, family can be a competing loyalty. Oftentimes I hear someone say, well, my family comes first. That sounds noble, but the truth is it's not scriptural. The example that I would give to you would be Abraham. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac because he believed that that was God's will for his life. Folks, the fact of the matter is, in these competing loyalties and what Jesus is saying at this point is that he is to be preferred above all else and that includes family. Another competing loyalty we have is that of possessions in verse number 33. He said, so therefore no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. So here possession speaks of the object of devotion. It is the object of one's devotion. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story of a rich farmer. He had had bumper crops and his loyalty, his devotion was to his possessions. And so Jesus rebuked him. Why? Why would he rebuke someone about their possessions? Because folks, possessions are never enough, no matter how much you have. I mean, I look at this farmer that is in the story. He had bountiful crops, bumper crops that year. Was that enough? Did that satisfy him? He said, no, what am I going to do? He said, I'm going to tear down the barns I have. I'm going to build bigger barns so I can have more. I don't care what you have, it's not enough. And it will never be enough. Possessions never satisfy. And possessions make promises that they cannot keep. For instance, possessions promise us security. The farmer looked at his possessions, his bounty. And he said, I am going to be secure for years to come. I am secure for years to come. Are we not the same? 
We look at our retirement account. We look at our bank account. We look at the stock market and we decide, well, I have enough money that I can be secure in the years to come. You see, that, that's what possessions promise us. They promise us that if we have enough, then we are going to be secure. They also promise us that they are going to provide us with comfort. The farmer said, take your ease. If I have enough, then I'm going to be comfortable in retirement. I can enjoy my life. I can be comfortable in retirement. They promise us pleasure. The farmer said, eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't it the same with us? I mean, whenever we look at our possessions, don't we find our security oftentimes in our possessions? We believe that our possessions will provide comfort for us, that they will provide pleasure for us. That's the reason that Jesus condemned or rebuked the farmer. He said, because it is never enough, no matter how much you have. It is never enough. Most of you have more than you ever dreamed that you would have and yet it's still not enough. I have to have some more. It's not enough. And it makes promises that it cannot keep. For some, the loyalty is to their profession. There was a story I read some time ago about a, an ancient stone cutter. This was in the early days of Christianity. And someone had come to the stonecutter because they were building a, a uh, sanctuary or they were, they were building a temple for a pagan god and they wanted him as the stonecutter to help them build it. Now he was conflicted. As a Christian, should I be engaged in building this? So he went to his pastor and he told him his dilemma. He said, they have asked me to help in the building of this as a Christian is it all right for me to do? He said, after all, I, I have to make a living, don't I? And the pastor said, do you? Folks, the fact is that for some of us, our profession takes precedence over Jesus Christ and our relationship to him. That's what he's talking about. So Christ then is to be preferred above everything else, including your family. I would ask you, do you prefer Christ over your family in your loyalty? Boy, that's a tough question. It is for me because I love my family very much. And yet I know that's what he's saying. Do, do I prefer Christ above my family? Do I prefer Christ above my possessions? Do I trust in him for security or do I trust in them? Am I better known because of my profession or because of my commitment, my relationship to Jesus Christ? So the first image he gives is that of family, and it speaks of loyalty. So in, in discipleship, he is saying that if you are a disciple of Christ, then your loyalty is to him first. The second image he gives is that of a cross, verse number 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now this image deals with sacrifice. I hear people say many times, well, such and such is just my my cross to bear my husband he's my cross to bear my wife she's my cross to bear I have a friend who was an associate pastor of a church in Oklahoma and, and uh, he's a very plain spoken fellow and guy came to him one time and he was complaining about his wife she does this and does that and she doesn't do this and doesn't do that and he went on and on he said I guess she's just my cross to bear 
And my friend said, why don't we just get on our knees right now and ask God to kill her? <laughs> when they got past that, they went ahead and prayed, but your husband's not your cross to bear. Your wife is not your cross to bear. Some people think of their job as being my cross to bear. I just have to do this to make a living. It's my cross to bear or some misfortune as being my cross to bear. I've told this story before. I like it, so I'm going to tell it again. You act like you've not heard it if you have. But there's a, there was a guy who was driving his pickup truck down the road, and there was a truck who ran the stop sign at an intersection and ran into him. So he sued the trucker. They went to trial, and uh, the lawyer of the defendant said, did you not say at the scene of the accident that you were fine? He said, well, I was going down the road in my pickup truck with my best mule, Bessie, in the back. There was a truck came by, ran the stop. So he said, stop right there. He said, I didn't ask you that. I said, did you not say that you were fine? He said, well, I was going down the road, and, and, and I'm going down in this truck, runs a stop sign. He, I didn't say that. Did you not say you were fine? He said, well, I was going down the road with my best mule, Bessie, in the back of my pickup truck. This truck ran the stop sign, ran into me, threw Bessie out of my pickup truck, broke her leg. The truck driver came over and saw her lying there, saw that her leg was broken, went back to his truck. He got a gun, came over and shot her. He turned to me and said, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. <laughs> Your cross to bear is not an aggravation. It is not a misfortune. The truth is the cross was considered to be disgraceful. See, that, that was the reason that a Roman citizen was not crucified. Because it was a disgraceful way to die. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, scripture says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The cross is burdensome. And discipleship is burdensome and it's becoming more so. In the days before us, I believe it is going to become increasingly difficult to be a disciple of Christ. Some of you are aware of the law in Iowa that requires churches to provide transgender bathrooms. That's just a start. I don't need to go through a litany of those things that are happening to the church today, to the attacks that are on the church today, but sometimes we become discouraged as a result of it. We were at the Southern Baptist Convention. Linda had gone to the minister's wife's executive luncheon because she's a former president of the Southern Baptist minister's wives. They, they were talking about all the things that are happening in America today and how Christians are under attack and the beliefs that we hold are under attack, and they are. Anne Graham Lotz was at the table with Linda and the ladies who were there. And she said, the world is not falling apart. It's falling in place for the Father's purposes. Sometimes we think that the world is falling apart, and it does look like it, and it's going to be difficult. 
But God's will ultimately is going to prevail. When we talk about the cross in the Bible and Jesus said you have to take up your cross, it was disgraceful. It was burdensome and Paul understood that it spoke of death. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Do you understand that? That to be a Christian, to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, it means that I die to self that I might live to him. Galatians 5, 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The cross speaks of death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. The second image is that of a cross. The disciple is someone who dies to self to live for Christ. The third image is that of a tower, verse number 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. We all have dreams of something, do we not? Maybe the dreams of a house. Maybe it's the dreams of a vacation. Maybe it's the dreams of this or the dreams of that. But we all have dreams of some sort. I hope that you have the dream of being a disciple of Christ. I hope that's what you want. That you want your life to count for him. That you want to be a disciple who matters for Jesus Christ. But you see, here's the problem. So many of our dreams never materialize. They are never finished because we didn't calculate the cost involved. Years ago, there was a house down by Gainesville, Texas. They began to build it during the oil boom. And it was an enormous house, very large. But then there was a bust. And that house was unfinished for years because they did not calculate the cost. Many Christians, ladies and gentlemen, do not end well because they did not count the cost of discipleship. That's what Jesus is saying here. Noah was saved from the flood, but after the flood we see him drunk and he cursed his son. Solomon, he began his reign by asking God for wisdom. God, give me wisdom. What do you want, Solomon, more than anything else? I want your wisdom. And then the Bible says that his wives turned his heart away from God. We've seen this with preachers who have fallen by the wayside. The one thing I don't understand about that, when a preacher falls, it is tragic. It is tragic for the church. It is tragic for the kingdom. And for the life of me, I do not understand how those people who say they are the people of God can respond to such failure with glee. I knew it was going to happen. The fact of the matter is, we sometimes don't finish well because we did not count the cost. So let me simply say to you in your life and in your commitment to Jesus Christ, understand that there is a cost involved. There is a cost involved. So calculate the cost. The next image is that of war, verse number 31. 
Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel, whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000, or else while the other still look far away, sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. I think the point that Jesus is making here is that we are in a war, we're in a battle. I know that there are those people who tell us that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, that's not what the Lord says. I mean, it's fine with me if you are. I hope you are. I hope you tie that you are. But at any rate, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that we face spiritual battles. As a disciple of Christ, you're going to face spiritual battles because Satan is real. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Did you know that? If you're a child of God, you're trying to live for God, you want your life to count for God, Satan wants to attack you. He'll do everything he can to attack you. That was the reason the Apostle Paul says, don't let Satan get a toehold in your life, an advantage of you. Don't let Satan get an advantage. It's like a mountain climber climbing a mountain. If he can just get a toehold, then he will conquer you. What Jesus is saying is that Satan is real and the world is hostile and it is increasing in its hostility to the people of God. Eric Alterman wrote in Elle magazine, adultery is wrong the way lying is wrong. It is, but sometimes it isn't. See, that's the situation ethics of of our day there are no absolutes and that's one of the things that we are dealing with and that's one of the things that Christians are dealing with today there are no absolutes everyone does what they choose to do they decide what is right and what is wrong and as Christians we have become complacent like Lot we've learned to go along to get along and we have stopped being salt in the earth. What Jesus is saying is prepare for battle. As a disciple of Christ, are you a disciple of Christ? As a disciple of Christ, you need to understand that we are in spiritual warfare. So we need to prepare for spiritual battle. How do we do that? Love Jesus. First of all, love Jesus. I was praying this morning, I wish I loved Jesus more. I want to, but as we prepare for spiritual battle, love Jesus with all our hearts. Take up the cross. There was a missionary who spoke at the Southern Baptist Convention. She spoke about the persecuted church, and we know about that, that Christians around the world are being persecuted. But she made an interesting statement. She said, when you pray, don't ask God to rescue them. That might not be his plan. Ask God to make them stronger. We're in a spiritual battle. And we need to pray for each other and those believers around the world that God will make them stronger, that we might finish the task to which God has called us. I don't know what your call is. 
I know what mine is, but I don't know what your call is. But it is important as a disciple of Jesus Christ that you finish the task. Whatever God has called you to, don't come up short. Don't stop too soon. But finish the task that God has called you to. The fifth image is salt, verse number 34. Therefore salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says as a disciple you are to be salt, that you are a preservative. We live in a decaying society. I think that you and I would agree about that, that our society is decaying. Life is cheap. Who would have thought it? That if someone is pro-life today, that, that is considered to be negative by about half of the Americans. How can that be? How can that be? If someone is pro-life, that we believe that you should preserve life, how can that be a negative? And yet it is. Purity is negotiable. The values that built this nation are negotiable. So what did Jesus say? He said, well, then you are to be salt, salty disciples. What does salt do? It preserves. And in ancient days, that basically was what salt did. It preserved flavors. When you eat food, do you not put some salt on it to flavor it? Did you know that as a Christian that, you're to, that you are to flavor life? We ought not be bland. I mean, I, I see some Christians and talk to them and look and I say, man, I don't know what they have, but I don't think I want that. You ought to have such a, such a flavorful life that people be around you and say, I want whatever it is that he's got or she has. Salt stings. You get it in a wound. It stings, does it not? So if you live for Jesus, the point that is made is that you're going to be an irritant. If you really live for Christ, you're going to irritate some people. So don't expect everybody to, you know, think that you're the greatest person around because they're probably not. If you're a disciple, then you're to be salt. So let me conclude. He gives us pictures of true discipleship. See, the problem that we have is that we have a lot of people who've made the profession, walked the aisle, signed the card, dunked whatever they were, sprinkled, whatever. We need real, real disciples. People really committed to Jesus. I want to be that. And I think that you probably do. I hope you do. I want to be that. So what does Jesus say? He said, a true disciple is family. That is an image, family. And it speaks of loyalty that we prefer Jesus above everything else. You take up a cross. We're willing to give up our lives that we might live for him. He gives the image of a tower. The disciple completes his task. War. We're involved, engaged in a spiritual war. We are to be salt, a preservative. Prior to the fall of the Romanian dictator, all unregistered churches were illegal. Those churches that were not sanctioned by the government. Joseph Son was the pastor of the largest unregistered church. 
he had received word that his church had been infiltrated by government officials, that they planned to arrest him and destroy the church. He began to pray. He prayed through the night. While he was praying, his wife came to him and said, Joseph, we love you, but you must be willing to die. And he committed himself to die if necessary. That is a disciple. It is not a matter of convenience. It is not a matter of popularity. It is a matter of being so committed to Jesus Christ that I give up my life to glorify him. Are you a disciple? Our gracious Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that you would speak to hearts, that you would examine our lives and let us see what you see. Father, make us disciples, make us courageous, make us bold, make us loving, make us like Jesus, that we might reflect the one who gave his life for us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. The moment we're going to stand, the choir's gonna sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you. If you wanna be a disciple for Christ in this church, we'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.